You're about to listen to the inaugural episode of Beyond the Past, a podcast by Kelly's Cause Foundation. We recorded this episode long before Corona was even a thing. In this episode, I chat to Mel White and Emma Ross about their experiences of dealing with mental health issues while they worked as yacht chefs. Just a warning that we do talk about some very heavy topics in this conversation and there is direct talk of suicide. So if this is something you're not in the frame of mind to listen to now, please come back to it at another time. And remember that you can always contact Samaritans on 116123. We had aimed for this to be a whole series of podcasts highlighting the stories and championing those in the industry who are working to make it a better place for everybody who works in it. Focusing on stories around people improving the mental health and well-being of themselves and those they work with and the industry as a whole. For now, we'll just be releasing this one inaugural episode to mark Mental Health Awareness Week. There will be more to come. Who knows when that will be? And who knows what the future of this industry holds? But what we do know is that we will continue to support each other and we will continue to work to improve the mental health and well-being of all those who work in the industry. So for now, wrap your ears around this and have a listen. Welcome to the very first episode of Beyond the Pass. I'm here today with Mel and Emma. I'm Tobiana, the founder of Kelly's Cause Foundation, and this is our inaugural episode of our Beyond the Pass podcast, which is going to look at mental health in the hospitality industry from a number of different angles. Um, So today we're focusing on the very cheery subject of suicide, Um, And our episode today is called Two Sides of Suicide. So we're looking at it both um, as a way to introduce Kelly's Cause Foundation and the reason behind that uh, after the suicide of my dear friend Kelly. And then we're also looking at the lived experience of people who have experienced suicidal thoughts through Mel and Emma. So it might sound like it's going to be quite an intense, heavy um, session, but we're going to put a really positive spin on it and what you're going to get at the end is a little top tip uh, from both Mel and Emma and how to look after your mental health. So hello girls. Hi. Welcome. Oh, so good to be here. Good. And happy birthday, Tobiana. Thank you. Yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> we are recording this. a special this. day. We are recording this on my birthday, um, which is an excellent way to spend my birthday, surrounded by these incredible women. And also the day after ladies. International Women's Day, which works yeah. very well. Yes. Um, I think that how we're going to get started is by talking about how we all met and how we came to know each other and how we came to be working on Kelly's Cause together. Sounds fabulous. Can't wait. Perfect. Right. Do you want to start, Em? How I met you? Yeah. I pretty much stalked you. Um, So there's an incredible collective called Ladies of Restaurants started by a girl called Natalia. And um, I met her in London. We chatted about things that we found frustrating in the hospitality industry, things that we wanted to change. We decided that we were going to do some work together. And it was almost like a kind of side note as we were saying goodbye. She was like, you know, I met this girl called Toby Anna. She started this incredible foundation called Kelly's Cause recently. And I really think you two should meet. So I did. I uh, looked you up. I saw what you were doing. I checked out the Kelly's Cause website and I arranged to meet you and yes. I'm so glad I did. <laughs> you just emailed me and then a week later we were at Pidales in Borough Market having wine and I was like this is like the most fortuitous meeting that's ever happened. And yeah it was that ha- was only that would have been what October? October yeah absolutely it was like this crazy yeah. like clashing and meeting of minds and ideas and I think we were talking over each other because we were so overstimulated and it kind of the chaotic atmosphere of having the trains kind of shunting and cruising above us while we were trying to talk drinking glasses of wine and then just yeah 
getting to a real deep understanding of what we wanted to do in the industry, what change we wanted to do. And when you had explained to me what Kelly's cause was and what you were doing, I I think I literally put my hand up like a nerdy schoolgirl and went, I'm in. Yeah. And that's how I remember it. Yeah. And now Emma is about to start doing her mental health first aid instructor training. So she's going to join me as a mental health first aid trainer for Kelly's Cause Foundation, which is very exciting because we are kind of growing at such a rapid rate that basically we need two of us to be doing that. So that's excellent. And then Emma introduced me to Mel. Yes. And we all went for lunch one day and I again left. I think Emma left but had to go, so she left before us. And then you and I went for coffee and I just was like, how are there just so many incredible women that are coming (laughs) into my life? It's so amazing. Yeah, it was another fortuitous meeting really i got to know emma really through luck of a draw i was working as a yacht chef in palmer and i met a lovely photographer called roddy we have a lot to thank him for um i was explaining to him that i felt there was real change that was needed to be made in the uh hospitality industry the luxury hospitality industry and also seafaring community um which was something that I felt very strongly about um, so much so that I really wanted to leave my full-time job as a seafarer in order to pursue it Um, and he said you really need to meet my friend Emma (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because she really cares about the mental health of people in the hospitality industry and also you're both yacht chefs so it was really uh, good fortune to have come across that connection um, and when I got back to the UK I got Emma's details and it was it was a meeting in London over a coffee and it was just a buzz yeah. it was just this natural connection of meeting each other in in a way that solidified the need to keep exploring mental health and and make it a common conversation that is stigma free and that's how I really got to meet Toby as well so it was perfect yeah Yeah. it was I think we were all kind of sitting there independently and individually thinking about what we wanted to do thinking about how we wanted to change our industry and feeling quite like you said frustrated by the lack of support the lack of care the lack of uh, foundations out there so when this kind of cruised into our path it just Mm -hmm. felt yeah right yeah and I think right people what's really interesting is like we're all female chefs, but we've all come to it through a different way. So we've all had those kind of different experiences, like both Mel and Emma have worked on yachts, but have kind of come to it through a different path. And I, you know, studied, went to Cordon Bleu, which is where I met Kelly, which we're going to go into the story of that in a little bit more detail, Um, you know, and then have worked in kitchens in London. And we've all worked across the world, basically, and seen exactly the same things happening. And that's why it's not just an issue for people who work, you know, in big restaurants or big hotels or bars. It's for people who work on yachts. It's for people who work on cruise ships. It's for people who work at sea. It's for people all around the world. So I think that that is something that has like brought us all together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cool. Do you want to tell us a bit more about Kelly? Yeah. So Kelly's Cause Foundation came to be um, through obviously a pretty horrendous and tragic event which was the suicide of Kelly who was a really good friend of mine so we studied at Cordon Bleu together she's one of my first friends in London when I moved here just the most amazing person incredibly incredibly talented chef worst timekeeper you could possibly imagine (laughs) always late to everything um 
I spent most of my time getting texts from her being like, can you save me the space next to you? I'm going to be 10 minutes late. And she rush in a flurry and everyone would look at her and be like, oh, Kel's late again. And then you'd get to the end and she would have like just made this mo the most incredible food. Like she had such a raw natural talent and she was like obsessed with food and eating out. She's one of the most cultured people I've ever, ever met. Um, would just talk about theatre and opera and I'd just be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, yep. I'll pretend to know what you're talking yeah, about. <laughs> I honestly spent a lot of time pretending. Um, and, you know, she you know, was super into going out to eat, of course, the chefs are, eating in the nicest restaurants. Um, but she had her battles. So she had experienced a lot of depression throughout her whole life. Um, she had a really tough childhood uh, and a really like her kind of horrendous set of circumstances that she'd been dealt and it was only kind of in the month before she died that I started to see just how much pain there was in her and as a well what I would have been 24 at the time you don't really know what to do and how to talk to people um, when they are saying things like you know, they're considering jumping in front of a bus and stuff like that because you just, without any kind of training as to know what to say and what to do in these situations. Um, and I was having quite a rough time myself as well at that time that I was like, I just don't know how to be equipped to support you. And I was doing everything that I, I thought that I could, you know, checking in on her all the time, um, chatting with her and meeting up with her as much as I could. Um, but it was probably three weeks before she died that we had the conversation that she was like, I've realised that I can't work in professional kitchens. She was like, it's not an environment that is supportive to me as a person and supportive to my mental health. Um, she was working uh, in a quite well-known kitchen in London and she was being sexually harassed by one of her sous chefs there. And she had just really fallen into the trap of um, that so many people who work in hospitality do of like drinking at the end of every day um, and you know before you know it you finished a whole bottle of wine and you're like this is not conducive to living a healthy lifestyle where I'm looking after myself all of the basics of like eating well um, look having time to exercise sleeping all of that that was really so important for her to keep her mental health really positive just went out the window um, and really sadly um, on the 7th of April in 2018 she took her own life so after the getting over the kind of initial <laughs> shock and kind of trauma and tragedy of that, I suddenly got to my kind of stage of grief where I got really angry and I was like, why are we not talking about this? Like, why are we all working in this industry that pushes us to our absolute limits, exposes us to situations that are really not good for any person to be exposed to, um, you know, works us into the ground overworks us, underpays us, gives us no time to rely on our support systems, see our friends outside of work, do anything. Um, and nobody's talking about it. There's nobody in the industry doing anything to fix it. There's no mental health policies. There's no mental health training. There's nobody trying to campaign to change this. And I just thought, okay, cool. I'm going to be the one to do that. And what started as a really small idea um, has now grown into this where you know, Kelly's Cause Foundation is a registered charity and we do mental health first aid training across the country. We've only been going for less than three months and we've already trained almost 50 mental health first aiders and champions. And by the middle of the year, we will have trained over 150 and hopefully by the end of the year, 300. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the story of how this came to be and a little bit of my, my side of the two sides of suicide, which is, you know, experiencing the loss of a really close friend and talented person to that.
So now I'm going to hand over to after I just talked a lot. To, <laughs> I kind of emotionally detach. Yeah, I really yeah. can emotionally detach myself from telling that story sometimes, and then other times I just say it, and I'm like, ooh, a little bit flawed by, you know, how it makes me feel. Um, but let's talk with you guys about your experiences because both of you, you know, had that same experience, but at sea, so you're isolated. You know, you're working ridiculous hours. You're probably in situations where you're being bullied and harassed. Um, you know, you don't get time to spend time. What was your record at sea? Two hundred and I did. Um, it was actually in the year after I came the other side of suicidal thoughts and depression. Um, I did eleven months away from home, solidly. Two hundred and seventy-three days, two hundred and seventy-three sailing days, and five weekends off. And I was working sixteen Crazy. to eighteen-hour days. It's inhumane, actually. Yeah. It's, it was. You think about it. It is very difficult to. I mean, it's actually a miracle. I think that I came the other side, but it's why I'm here, and it's why I'm doing the work I'm doing now uh, to tell the story. Would you like to talk us through your experience of? being suicidal and kind of give people who perhaps haven't been in that kind of dark place an understanding of what it's like and also how you pulled yourself out of that yeah so um the best way for me to start talking about this is to really make sure that everyone's aware that I am known to be the smiliest bubbliest person yeah, in a room you are <laughs> You're not knowing you are the smiliest, bubbliest um, person in the room. And so it's incredibly shocking for people to hear when that character or that kind of person is actually feverishly paddling like mad underneath and you cannot see it. And unless that person opens up to you uh, and shares it, it's almost impossible to identify. Um, and I found myself quite rapidly sinking behind the scenes as I was working tremendously long hours on a yacht. Um, we were perpetually on the move. Uh, we were in the Mediterranean racing. We were chartering. Um, and I was in a crew dynamic that didn't best support my mental health and that's the easiest way for me to explain it um there was no mechanism to approach anybody to say I was struggling um and stress combined with lack of sleep um and deep pressures to perform were actually um the reason I so rapidly went under behind the scenes and I think I actually ended up disguising certain health concerns. Um, actually, they were disguising something that were was deeper. It was my mental health that was struggling. Um, and so I, I managed to get some time off the boat. I had a kidney infection. I wasn't drinking enough water. I, I physically wasn't getting through boiling hot days on deck drinking enough water and I ended up with a kidney infection and it was a physical marker to an external source and uh, I ended up with antibiotics and after I was free from this infection I still had the pain I still had this deep pain um, in my stomach and in my back and I couldn't get rid of it and so fortunately I managed to 
well, it didn't feel like fortunately at the time, the captain said, right, well, you need to go back to the UK and get rid of this infection and then you can come back. Um, it took something physical, a physical proof that I was broken in order to get me that rest. It was not, the environment did not support me in a way that I could go to somebody and say, I'm not sleeping, I'm not eating, I'm not drinking, and I'm feeling depressed. I got back to the UK and effectively was in rehab. My parents rehabilitated me. I'd lost, I think, six kilos since they last saw me, and I couldn't see that on myself. Um, I wasn't sleeping. Um, I was living in fear of two people on board that were bullies, basically. Um, and I was broken. And gradually, it was dawning on me that actually what I was suffering from was depression. And my parents fed and watered me. I went and saw a doctor every three days. Um, but I thought I was coming the other side of it until I got in the shower one day and this niggling voice just appeared in my mind. I said, you know, you can end this all. And I felt completely trapped because I didn't feel at home on land anymore and I didn't feel at home at sea. And that was scary because there's only so much earth to inhabit. <laughs> and I didn't feel like I didn't inhabit either of those worlds. And so when that suicidal voice appeared in the shower, I was petrified. It, it, it almost, I knew it was coming from my own mind, but I couldn't believe that being the happiest, smiliest person in the world, I could have had that thought. And I ended up turning on the shower and, and turning up. So it was absolutely scolding to try and get my mind away from this thought. And it was terrifying. And I actually didn't tell anybody about that. Made really, it I, real. it yeah. made it too real. And somehow, I found the mechanisms to come the other side of those thoughts on my own. But I have written a book <laughs> to try and explain what that was like, mm -hmm. but also to try and encourage people to talk about it. Because actually sharing is what will save you. And I was very fortunate that I had, the hardest thing for me was actually returning to that boat, knowing I was going back on board. And I had supportive people that would message me at 10 o'clock in the morning, say, drink a glass of water. And then would message again at two saying, drink a glass of water. Mm -hmm. You know, little acts of self-care. And that's what got me to the other side. And it was actually only in the removal of these two uh, difficult characters on board that saved me effectively. And then it took a whole year of self-rehabilitation to, to get over that. Um, and that's where I'm at with suicide. <laughs> it, it was a suicide of thought or thoughts that I had. Uh, they didn't own me. It felt like they owned me. Um, but I'm living and walking proof that you can come the other side of it. And it is tremendously important that uh, 
we speak about it. Yeah, it is. And you're very brave to share that <laughs> with us. Aww. And it's true that Mel is like the smiliest, <laughs> happiest person you can imagine. She's like always got a massive grin on her face. Yeah, I um, do. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that happens for a lot of people that these things like manifest themselves physically. Mm. And because we're so used to taking our physical health really seriously yeah, and not absolutely. so, not so I used mean, to... We listen yeah. to our bodies. We yeah. don't listen to our... Well, exactly. we don't listen to our brains too much. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. And that's what often happens is that they manifest themselves in a physical way. And then it's that that take, forces us to slow down. And then you suddenly realize even when that's gone, that the mental pain and the pain in like your heart is still there. Yeah. But you're incredibly strong. Oh, you're very kind. And look at you now. I uh, know. Just look at me now. Oh, I know. Look when you said sentence, <laughs> I've written a book. I was like, look what you've done. I uh, know. I can't. Yeah. yeah it took we'll a keep, long time. We'll keep but everybody I did updated it. on the book. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be like a lot yeah. of a lot of promo for the book when it's oh, out. It's very exciting. Perfect. Perfect. Um, would you like to share your stories with us? Sure. So, um, yeah, we haven't discussed what we were going to talk about today. Um, and I've suddenly realized that's probably one of the reasons we've all bonded as friends is that I've had a lot of the same um, experiences that Toby was just explaining in professional kitchens. And I literally have the same sentence to start my kind of whole like spiel about it. Like, you know, everyone has known me as the kind of... Um, the friend that you want to confide in, um, I'm the girl that you like to have a party, you know, saying that you work on a super yacht is a certain amount of currency in social circles, people like Mm -hmm. to have you around, they like to hear the (laughs) stories, they want you to name drop. Um, (laughs) No, um, never. (laughs) (laughs) Guilty as charged. Um, You know, with all of the places that we go and that trigger word super yachting, you can imagine it's luxury, it's beautiful locations, exotic. I'm the person whose Instagram and Facebook feed you love to hate. It's just (laughs) a wall filled with like envy inducing photos of beautiful town people living somewhere far away, drinking something exotic that you can't pronounce. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, yeah, you know, Instagram has that way of making your life feel just that little bit less shiny. so yeah, um, I want to give now an explanation, not so much of the, the situation I was in, because I think you understand what it's like to work in a kitchen, what it's like to work on a yacht. Um, both Tobes and Mel have explained that. I'm going to give you my experience with depression. It's, uh, it has got to be one of the ugliest, sneakiest, most vindictive diseases. Um, it creeps and slithers along the dark alleyways of your mind. It's bony fingers kind of creep along the neural pathways of your subconscious, turning everything it touches to black. So I know everything is uh, very personal for each person, but for me particularly in the bad times, um, I feel like I have troops of angry, loud monkeys crashing through my brain. Each monkey carries a phrase of self-doubt, a feeling of self-loathing, and the claws and the teeth of hatred. I try to quiet them down. I've tried music, I've tried distracting myself, I've tried drinking, I've tried comedy. But in moments of tiredness, times when I'm alone, the monkeys come clattering back with more friends than ever, it seems. So like I said, I was the girl that, you know, had the envy-inducing life and what no one could know, what I didn't even know, is that I was uh, undiagnosed depressive. So for me, 18 months of hell ruled my life. Every day, that's... 540 days of not just hating myself, but getting into the womb-like safety of my car and crying, no. (laughs) Like ugly sobbing multiple times a day and every day fighting the urge to just drive myself into walls, to end my debilitating pain and stop the septicemia of self-hate that had derailed my life. 
I felt like I was a black hole that sucked all the joy around me. Um, this dark, ugly mass of toxic energy. And as everyone knows, that's not society friendly. So I learned to hide it. I think mm-hmm. we're all, uh, we all know that feeling. Yes. I, uh, I developed a mask. I, be- I was still that friendly, happy, outgoing, gregarious, story-filled girl that would arrive at parties with a <laughs> bottle of vodka in her hand, a fabulous story, and... Like today. Yes. <laughs> hey, some habits are hard to break. I'm working on them. So yeah, I would basically, in the safety of my car, it was, like I said, this womb-like safety where I could actually cry. I could vent, I could scream, I could let these, and I allowed these these thoughts to overrun my life when I was in my car, but I knew, I knew that that wasn't going to be okay, like, in, in the real world, and I knew no one was prepared to have that conversation, especially me. Like, I'm not saying that I was unsupported or I didn't have people that loved and cared for me. I just... First of all, I didn't even know what it was called. I didn't know it was called depression. I didn't know yeah. it had symptoms. I didn't know it was a disease. I, was exactly I didn't the know same. it had cures. Like I just knew that all of these thoughts were in my head and it was so at odds with who I was and what I represented that I felt it was just another, you know, spike to uh, smash into a mallet and smack myself on the back with. So, yeah, I would uh, get out of my car, I'd wipe away the tears, I'd paste on the socially acceptable smile on my face, and I carried on the charade. I carried on the charade for 18 months. That's like two whole babies. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think I've given you a pretty clear understanding of how horrific it was. Um, I don't think, unless anyone's been in that level of pain and had depression, I think, I just don't think you can understand it you can you can try you can empathize but it's just something that once you've experienced it just robs you of all of all life of all meaning of all connection and it's just it feels really inescapable um some days you know it felt like i was in a hieronymus bosch painting and i just figured out organically that some things made me feel better and some things made me feel worse The things that made me feel worse was, you know, eating badly, not getting enough sleep, um, drinking too much, all of which I was a pro at. Mm -hmm. Um, But there were some things that actually made me feel better. Um, And one of them just happened to be um, a dog. And it wasn't even my dog's. (laughs) It was my sister's dog. Um, And she turned out to be my inadvertent savior. So she was a uh, four-legged, 12 kg, warm amber brown Amstaff called Coco. And uh, every day after work, I would collect her from my sister's house. Um, And as I slipped the harness over this kind, heavy head and fitted it around her broad, strong white chest, I just felt the demons slipping away and losing their infernal grip on my shoulders, my chest, my stomach, and my tormented brain. They had made their home. Every day we ran, you know, stretching our muscles, losing our breath, sweating in a really unattractive way. Because it's, <laughs> it's South Africa. It's always way. hot. The um, best kind of way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had inadvertently created a connection. Yes, it was with the dog, but it was massively important. And I was getting exercise, which unbeknownst to me were, you know, my paths to healing. Um, but yeah, I think... I was probably my fittest, my thinnest, all of those kind of desirable things, but the the effect it had on my body was wasted on me. The effect it had on my mind was wondrous. Loping along with a dutiful dog, cantering along, seemed to brush all the monkeys away. Um, you know, 
the reason I think we're telling these stories and why we wanted to do this podcast is obviously we want to let everyone know about Kelly's cause. But I also think a part of me wanted to be part of this podcast and this movement because I want to talk about it. I want to remove the stigma from depression. Um, I know that we're getting there. I know that we're making small steps and they're in the right direction. I just, I want to get behind them and just accelerate them and fuel them a little bit. I know that talking to someone helped me and I'm hoping that maybe us talking together will help someone else. Um, I'm talking because sharing my experience and being honest and open is actually the only way I can live now. Uh, I'd be lying if I said that depression didn't still come creeping into the back of my brain, but you know, instead of curling up into a defenseless ball and letting the monkeys ravish my brain, Mm -hmm. I can stand up to them now. Um, And I think that's through connection, through looking after myself, through talking about it, and by doing something that has meaning and purpose in my life. Yes. Also, you're so brave for sharing. (laughs) I think that the thing that I got the most, aside from the fact that I'm surrounded by two incredibly strong and amazing women, is that the things that you did to help yourself were small things. It doesn't need to be a massive thing where you, you know, pull yourself out of a, a deep, dark depression and being suicidal by being on, you know, antidepressants for months or years or, you know, being in intensive therapy. It's like the little, small things that you can do. And yeah, obviously there is a place for those things. Like, uh, well, you're in therapy. I'm in therapy. Have you I been to therapy? To, no, I speak to everybody else. No, <laughs> the therapy. We are your therapist. Yeah, wrote, the, the writing was my therapy. There you go. But it, you know, it really was. Yeah, but those yeah. those things are really helpful as well. Don't get me wrong. But it's like what I cling on to the most in these kind of things is the small things that you can do. That it's just like where you pick yourself up and you go for a run. You you know it might seem monumental when you're in that kind of headspace to take yourself out for a coffee with a friend. But doing those kind of little things are what really makes a difference. And I think the biggest thing about that is how that can empower people because yeah. it's something that everybody has access to doing. And the other thing is talking about it. Yeah, 100%. It, it's like we have gotten so much better um, at reducing the stigma, but it's still there. 100%. It's definitely still there in hospitality. It's still there in kitchens, especially because they're so male-dominated. Um, I also think that you naturally think if I... I can't physically work, work less hours. Yeah. Okay, I can't re- remove myself from this kitchen or I can't get off this boat or I can't... Uh, my life isn't conducive to to finding these things that will help me be happier. Not necessarily free from depression, but just be able to manage these symptoms of of sadness. And it it really doesn't take very much to slowly add acts of self-care that really take minutes you don't you you know if you can't get out and run for some people running is not their thing Mm -hmm. I think what's something someone said to me recently um she said she was really struggling and her boyfriend had said just go out for a run and I said but you don't like running. <laughs> yeah, it's about finding what but works for you. you don't like running. She was like, yeah. thank you for saying that. No, I don't like running. I was like, you don't have to run. You know, you've got a dog, take the dog to the beach or, you know, find what's right for you. Mm-hmm. There is no golden ticket. It doesn't have to look a certain way. Yeah. I think it's, that's so true. Like, because you do heaps of yoga. I absolutely hate yoga. The, all I think about, the <laughs> I'm whole so time glad I'm that's doing out yoga, in the open. 
is how bad I am at yoga and it makes me more stressed and like I don't really like running but I like to go boxing and I like to do Pilates and you know even just going for like a brisk walk any of those things but like it's about finding what works for you and it's like I think depression is something that really robs you of your self-worth and your self-esteem so practicing those little small acts of what we call like self-care but I really think it's like self-love is something that can really boost you and bring you back up yeah yeah. And if you're finding yourself disconnected, I mean, we're lucky enough to be, you know, well educated. We come from mm-hmm. first world countries. So I think yeah. it's debatable whether it is or not. But <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, all sappers out there. Um, but, you know, there are also things like podcasts. Podcasts got me through when I was feeling so disconnected from the people I was on the boat with, you know, when they are all hedonistic, uh, alcoholic, you know, going nuts every kind of night. And I was trying to remove myself from that. Listening to comedy podcasts with people that were on my same like mental wavelength just literally kind of kept my feet on the ground and stopped me going mad on boats sometimes. Like I fell madly in love with someone's voice. His name was Jeremy Hardy. He was on my favorite um, podcast called... Can we talk about other podcasts? Yeah, of course. It's uh, the Friday night comedy. And this man's voice honestly pierced through some of the darkest times. He was, um, for anyone who knows him, you know exactly who he is, but he just had this incredibly monotonous, brilliant way of talking uh, about the heaviest things, but with this comedic tone and this self-deprecating kind of voice and so yeah exactly maybe exercise is not your thing but there is going to be something out there for you whether it's eating a little bit healthier or if it's connecting with friends or if it's just listening to a podcast just figure what that is and 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 actually label it like say actually i'm i'm listening to this for myself yes yeah like actually saying right okay i'm buying this coffee for me Mm -hmm. like i'm doing this and i'm going to enjoy every sip yeah you know, yeah. really identifying these little things that act as floats. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And being like, taking the time to do it and prioritizing it and not feeling selfish for doing it. Like no matter what your life situation is and where you're working and what your family is or anything, like everybody has to prioritize time for themselves because you cannot be the person you need to be without looking after yourself. 100%. Okay, so that draws us quite nicely <laughs> to our um, kind of what we're going to have as our little conclusion of every podcast episode that we do, which is a little hot tip from all of our guests about what they do to look after their mental health. So Mel, would you like to share yours with us? Yes. Well, anyone that knows me knows that writing is my tonic um, and it's something that's very simple and very cheap and something you can do even when you are living in a boxy cabin and mm-hmm. you, can, <laughs> you can't you can run away. Um, and in the year I was coming the other side of these depressive thoughts and suicidal thoughts, um, I really didn't know how I was going to <laughs> spend any time to myself working 16, 18 hours a day. But I started writing... Uh, three things I was grateful for, which is a known thing out there. Mm-hmm. Um, people have looked into the psychology of it. And if you manage to do it for 28 days in a row, you can override the negative bias in your mind. And it actually creates, it, it re-establishes the neurochemicals in your brain. Um, and it also helped my quality of sleep. So I literally, I was like, okay, I'm going to give myself two minutes before I go to sleep Mm -hmm. to write three things down. And they could be so simple. Some of them kept reoccurring. Um, 
you know, or it would be, oh, the little girl that smiled at me while I was trying to push three trolleys through a supermarket. (laughs) Or, you know, That's the real story. (laughs) Smashing them into the back of your ankle and trying not to cry in front of this little girl. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, some days it would be, oh, I've seen a humpback whale. And other days it would be, oh, I have Marmite and toast before bed. (laughs) You know, really simple stuff. Um, But it's also proven... If you write on paper, it helps, um, well, it forces you to slow down. And that is something that's really important. Like, can you give yourself the ability to slow down to write three sentences today? Maybe you can. Yeah, yeah, definitely. um, It's really simple. And, And I guess, yeah, they've proven that actually writing on paper, not writing on your phone, not typing... Uh, it increases the neural activity in certain sections of your brain which are similar to meditation so if you feel right I cannot I can't sit down for 15 minutes breathing away you know trying to access this miraculous spot of my mind through breath work you don't have to you could just write three sentences and And that could take you literally 30 seconds exactly and And if you do that every day for 28 days you've created new pathways in your brain for positivity amazing that's a hot tip i love that actually and also the like the last memory or the last thing you're thinking is actually positive stuff instead of the negative stuff yeah if you do it before you just before you go to sleep no i love that my sister does something quite similar with her kids um she asks them just as they're going to bed what was the best thing that happened to them today and what it does is exactly what you're talking about it just kind of focuses on the positive um but also it's really nice for a mother as well because she would be like taking them to the cinema and getting them popcorn and sweets and da da da. So she kind of already knew in her mind like what their favorite moments of the day was gonna be or she expected it. And they always hit her with the unexpected. They'd say like, oh, I really liked it when we were singing in the car together something they had done for free or I really liked it when you laughed so hard like you snorted and <laughs> and that was so joyous yeah, about it so yeah. she was just like she as a good mother was doing it for her kids so that they would go to sleep with these amazing kind of like last residual day memories but it ended up being really good yeah. for her as well that's so beautiful we it used is. to do that as a family when I was growing up that we'd sit around the dinner table and talk yeah. about our best moment of the day I'm like, why did I ever stop doing that? I know. I'm, I'm going to start doing that. I'm, I'm going to get my that. housemates and be like, right, guys, we're all going <laughs> to yes. sit around and talk about We'll do that at dinner tonight. Yeah. We'll all sit I'm around in. and talk about our best thing of the day. All right, and what's your, what's your hot tip for everybody? Okay, so for me, I want people to figure out your self-worth. And closing that gap between what you're actually worth and what you're selling yourself for is so bloody important. I want you to roll your shoulders back and remind yourself, I am worth more when you are shouted at, when you are abused, when you're harassed, when you are taking advantage of. Say it until you believe it and then act on those beliefs. Yes. Well done, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you, guys, Mel and Emma, for being the inaugural guests on Beyond the Past, the Kelly's Course Foundation podcast. It's been an absolute joy to have you. I hope everyone's enjoyed listening and taken something away from that. Your little hot tips were great. Something that anybody listening to this can implement in their daily life. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, So there you have it. The inaugural Beyond the Past, a podcast by Kelly's Cause episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to Mel and Emma share their stories and have a little bit more of an understanding about Kelly's Cause Foundation, how it came to be and exactly what we're trying to achieve. You can follow along and find out more at kellyscause.com and also at kellyscause on Instagram. As the hospitality industry gets itself back on its feet slowly and things start to return to normal, 
employees, business owners and everybody involved in the industry is going to need mental health support more than ever. So please do follow along for updates on our mental health first aid courses and other resources. And you could always use our check-in chat program by emailing chat at kellyscores.com if you need a friendly mental health first aider just to have a chat to or someone to steer you in the right direction for mental health or practical resources. Thank you so much for listening and hopefully we'll have more episodes of Beyond the Past for you to wrap your ears around soon.